2: going in the masjid every day and looking at the corners, like we can see they were sitting there, there, there.
3: It's hard.
1: It took a while to like comprehend what happened.
3: Kia ora, we're your hosts, Julie. And Sarate. We traveled around Aotearoa with our soundy Joey meeting immigrant whanau, listening to stories and discovering what is said or not said between different generations.
0: These stories warmed our hearts and broke our hearts, and over this series we invite you two to listen in on conversations with my immigrant parents. This episode features Tuba, her husband Habib, and their kids Fatima and Usman. They moved from Pakistan to Ototahi in 2007 and have lived there ever since.
3: Habib works for the Ministry of Ethnic Communities and Tuba doesn't formally have a job, but as you'll hear in the podcast, she really has many jobs and she fills so many roles that are vitally important to her community. Fatima is 16 and Usman is 15, but they are in the same year at high school. Content warning. This episode discusses the March 15th terror attacks.
2: Fatima, our daughter, she is the first child. She was born in 2005 she is 16 years old and in she is high school she is uh, very confident and always ready to help or assist in the community she is doing lots of volunteer work she can make friends very easily very confident and very smart mashallah
4: we never had any problem with her until today mm. very good yeah osman
2: he is our baby he was born in 2006 he is uh, younger than fatima one years he loves cricket and he's very confident, boy. Mashallah.
4: He's very caring, but when I looked at him, his actions, his thing, he posed like he's not caring. He don't care. He's kind of the naughty one in the family. And the one thing I love about him, Fatma is like always home, uh, school, uh, work, homework, everything on time. Teacher loved it, everything. But school sent us an email one day that Usman is receiving an award for studies. And me and my wife were shocked like uh, we drink school back uh, that you may have made a mistake. It will be Fatima. And it's just (laughs) mom.
5: Our mom's name is Rosina Shaheen, but everyone just calls her Tuba. And she's the type of person who always looks into helping other people. And she always puts other people before herself. Mm. And she's very friendly and talkative. And our dad's name is Habib Marat. And he's the very same. Tall. He's very tall. He always wants to achieve his goals and do better. He won't like end... Persistent. He won't, he, yeah, he won't start something and just finish it. He'll always try doing the best and he'll try achieving better than he did beforehand. I think they're really cute because they're always flirting with each other, even in public, and they're always supporting each other and my mum always has my dad's back and my dad always has my mom's back and they're always gonna be there for each other and it's so obvious. They literally come up to us and they tell us, oh, we like each other more than we like you. And so it's like, they're really in, like they're really... Um
1: Supportive of each other and the whole
4: family. When we arrived, uh, and we were lucky one, Tuba's sister was here and uh, she sponsored us and she supported us. And we came here as a permanent resident uh, in 2007. But when we came in and uh, the honeymoon period finished, uh, I applied for 70 different jobs. The worst one, which still hit me sometime, one of the supermarket trolley pusher job. I was rejected for that. (laughs) Like a person of six, seven, six foot, four inch, uh, well built. And I was young in those days. Now I'm a little bit old. But they told me that I can't push trolley in a supermarket. Uh, And I'm not going to name that supermarket. Why did they so, tell you no? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But what happened uh, there, I asked a couple of my friends. Uh, they take me to one of the Indian restaurants. They had a dishwasher job. Having two master degrees and being a principal in Pakistan and you come to New Zealand and you have to start as a dishwasher. That was a big change, basically. EP was the manager name. When he looked at me, I never saw that huge dishwasher in my life. And he looked at me and said, Habib, you never did a dishwashing? And I said, no. <laughs> in that job, the only thing was the dishwasher and the sink was low, and I am a tall person. My back used to hurt a lot. I also started another job in the morning because that was the evening job. Still, whenever I see Ippi uh, in a hotel, and I usually go to his hotel, he's still manager of some of the restaurant. He tell proudly to his people that he, he was one of the best dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Like a lot of immigrant families trying to make a new start, Tuba and Habib had to move their family several times, living in many different houses around Christchurch.
2: Every time that we started from zero, mm. and then we moved to Mayfair in uh, Ave. that was quite a big, beautiful house, but the big problem was the train was passing by our house, mm. and when the earthquake came in the, I think, 3 wow. or 4 a.m. Your dad was in the mosque and you were very young. So I thought maybe the train is entered in our house. <laughs> so I was very scared. But when, when we realized, no, it's earthquake, not train in our house. After that, we moved to Riccarton and we lived there 10 years in the same house.
4: Christchurch has become a ghost town mm. after the earthquake. And there was nobody. Everybody was leaving and people left to Auckland and Wellington and Australia. Your mom loved Christchurch, so the doctor said find a home that is near the busy people. Mm-hmm. And in the whole Christchurch, the only busy place at that time was the the, the mall, the Rakuten Mall. Mm-hmm. So we just found that home, luckily, beside the mall. Yeah.
2: Then after 10 years, we moved to Islam in 2020. 2020. Yeah. We lived there one year and six months. Then from there, last year in March, we moved in this house. It was a very big task. The bad thing about moving houses was the inspection. They were giving us the dirtiest house and then mm-hmm. we were cleaning and making it like new. And after that, they were coming every after three months and take taking photos. And even there was a one piece of grass growing and they were saying, oh, you need to mow this or like this. Never. Every inspection day, I was never at home. Your dad was taking off it, to basically. stay home. Yeah. I hated this because we were keeping the house very clean and tidy. Everything was done and when when they were coming, taking photos or like this, so I didn't like that time, you know. Mm-hmm. But thank God in this house we don't have to move.
1: I can remember the record in Home Quite Well. Mm-hmm. There was red bricks and there was a, there was a backyard. And the, only th- the main thing I remember is that we were getting our backyard done. Mm-hmm. So it we went from like <laughs> grass, like orange concrete,
4: mm-hmm.
1: and then... Yeah, that's all I remember. And then Island Home. That's like when I started helping moving. And then we were moving from the Island home to this home. That's when I was like in my prime of moving. Like I was lifting like heavy swings and like heavy containers and all that. And I got Tell the
2: story of energy drink. Ah, yeah. So
1: me and Dad, we would be moving after school until like 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and my dad would always stop at the Morehouse petrol pump to grab Red Bulls, and we'd always get uh, a six-pack of Red Bulls, and we'd have three each, three on the way, and then three on the way back. And, yeah, it was just just fun times. And then we'd always come home and sit down, he'd be like,
3: (laughs) ah,
2: while sitting down. So tired.
3: I feel like this discussion that the family has about renting different houses and having to move so many times is very relatable and very common for a lot of migrant families
0: yeah I I definitely related to that when I was growing up my family moved quite a lot I think I said to you that like every time we would get robbed and then um my family would move but I don't know if that even makes logical sense because it's not like I don't know if people would You know, does that make sense to like move
3: Yeah, because people come back and they will rob the same place twice. Right.
0: I think in my head I was like, they already robbed us once. You're not going to come back to the same house. But, yeah, I definitely remember that being a thing. And I guess for immigrant families, it's hard to find that stability when you're trying to just set up and that is part of the immigrant experiences. Like, it's not just the move from a different country, but it's also the unsettling of each iteration of Mm -hmm. moving as well.
3: Hmm. It's also moving into a different social class, Mm -hmm. eh? like getting to the point where you can afford your own home and you have the stability that comes with that. A lot of people take many years to, Mm. to work up to that.
0: Yeah. And I think it's like once you have moved up to those upper classes, upper middle class, it's really easy to quickly forget maybe how it was like when it was harder. Like our peers who are from immigrant backgrounds are of a certain class now and even within immigrant um, communities here in Aotearoa, I think there are separations between class and we forget that even if we may have come through those pathways to acknowledge what those differences are or... It's easy to pull the ladder up after you. Mm, or surround yourself only with your class after mm. a certain point. Hmm. I think there are some divisions there.
3: I think there's generally lots of migrants who have been here for a, a long time who look down on ones who are fresher. Mm. I think it's interesting you saying that you forgot it till I brought it up too.
0: There's definitely conversations to be had around class and class divisions within immigrant communities that I don't think are talked about as much. Like I think, yeah. I just don't think class comes into the conversation as as, as much as it
3: should. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, it, it's inconvenient, isn't it, to mm. be reminded. mm in this next part, the family thinks back to how they were affected when the 2011 Christchurch earthquake hit, an event which took the lives of 185 people. I remember
2: very well. Oh, my God, they were very scary. What happened? When the second earthquake came, you were at uh, school and uh, in year zero, and he was in kindy, and your dad was in Rolleston in corrections. Dunedin. He was
4: I was in Dunedin
2: on that day. Oh, he yeah. was in Dunedin. yeah. It was moving very hard, and our TV was fell and it broke. I was trying to sit in a car and to go to pick you and Usman and my sister from uni, but my all neighbours, they were very good and they didn't let me sit in the car till the earth uh, stopped moving. Uh, when it stopped and I left to pick you up and the roads were full and I was, like, you know, crying, crying, and first I went to his kindy to pick him up. Um, and then when I went to your school, there was a police lady uh, she was holding you in in her lap, and you were eating I think lollipop or chocolate, <laughs> but after that, I didn't let you go anywhere for maybe one or two months
4: because I was so scared not to let you go out of the house. I remember for two months, Mum used to take sleeping pills, calm down's place due to the panic attacks because of the earthquake, and at that time there was no luxury of working from home, mm-hmm. so most of the time you were mum. Uh, have to wait in the car park for me, so I finish my shift and then Mm -hmm. we come back home tomorrow and you guys sitting on the back of the car.
2: When the aftershocks were coming, we were putting the big pot on our head. (laughs) If something fell down, so we have safe heads and I was telling you, when the uh, aftershocks or earthquake came and there is a tsunami, just climb up the cupboards and sit in the
4: cupboards. (laughs) It was quite scary. So you guys don't remember that? No. What you heard from your friends... uh? anything you ever discuss in your no, friends
5: no we don't talk about
4: that <laughs> So what do you talk about <laughs> makeup <laughs> what is the one thing that you talk with your kiwi friends
5: i don't have many kiwi friends but yani no i don't have white friends i only have samoan and afghan And Pakistani and Indian friends. I don't Mm -hmm. have any. But you have
2: hello hi with everyone. Yeah. yeah.
4: But not the friends like. Why may I ask? Why any
2: reason?
5: Because I just don't like being friends with them in a nice way because they're really different and I don't bond with them as well as I bond with others. Like the people I'm friends with, they have like the same type of journey as me we just bond better because we're similar and if you compare me to a white person we're not similar at all i just wouldn't choose to be friends with if there was a white person and if there was a person of color i would choose to be friends with the person of color
4: but but then again the question will come why not in a bad way but in a good way is there any rationale in your mind that uh, why you will do that
3: i think i'm just biased Uh, maybe um... i love the way Fatima says this, I love how explicit she is about it. I think I, if I had understood this when I was younger, it would have, like, changed quite a lot in my life. In what way? Like, when I started having more friends that weren't white, I was so much more relaxed and I felt like life became easier and it was so comfortable to not have to explain things or to not have to choose not to explain something Mm. you know it just oh it just feels nice
0: (laughs) yeah like how Fatima says you just have had a similar journey so there's like a shorthand in your experience
3: absolutely Mm. and I just think it's refreshing to hear someone so young say this
0: Yeah. yeah I think I've said before that I do think generation by generation, that sort of identity trauma about race and ethnicity, like lessens a little bit, or um, you'd hope that it would. Mm. I see my brother, who is like almost ten years younger than me, and I don't think he ever went through that same self-hating journey and worshiping whiteness or anything like that that I felt like I went through.
3: This is the first family we've had on the podcast who are based in Ōtautahi and who were there to experience the Christchurch earthquakes and, of course, the terrorist attack of March 15th.
1: Before 15 March, we didn't have, like, a Muslim committee in school and now we've got a Muslim committee, committee. we have, like, monthly Muslim meetings. Mm-hmm. We would, like, talk about how school's going for us as Muslims and, like, what we can improve on as Muslims and, like, people have become more respective of religion
5: Mm. I'm one of the leaders for the Muslim committee at school. Before the 15th of March, we didn't have anything like that and I think the Muslims in Christchurch or New Zealand overall, they weren't known. They were in their own bubble and people didn't really know them as well. But like after the attacks, they realized there are Muslims in Christchurch. It's a large community and we need to like stand by them. And I think that overall, the Muslim community, it just became stronger. We weren't close. Everyone was segregated in the community. Pakistanis were with Pakistanis. Somalis were with Somalis and Arabs were with Arabs. But after that, we all became kind of close. And I built so much more friendships after the attacks. In the whole world, the 15th of March attacks were talked about and they became a strong discussion.
1: It took a while to, like, comprehend what happened. You know that, like, there was a shooting in the mosque. we had, like, comprehend it. So to understand that 51 people died, like, you two were, like, out of the house a lot at, like, you know, funerals, supporting families with government agencies and all that. And, like, it was, like, a really independent time in the house.
4: So, uh, how you took on, like, uh, suddenly uh, one day you were at school and you heard that uh, there's a attack on mosque. How you guys felt?
1: Because, like, we were in maths in the library, period five on a Monday, on a Friday, sorry, and we're excited to go home and lockdown happens. We're in lockdown until six o'clock. Our teachers told us boys high has gone into lockdown. Ten minutes later, girls high. And then we're told that there's a shooter in Hagley. Like, you had that sense in the back of your mind. It's sitting there that my dad could get shot or could die, or my mum could get shot or could die. For some reason, I felt like that wouldn't happen because, like, it was subconscious. I was telling myself, no, that can't be the case.
5: Me, I started wearing the hijab after the 15th of March. I didn't wear it before. Mm -hmm. I feel like if 15th of March never happened, I don't think I would ever have started wearing the hijab because I would just be embarrassed to wear it. I wouldn't be proud to wear it. But after the 15th of March, it gave me, like, a sense, like, Muslims are really strong and we're strong people and there's no reason. We need to show other people how strong we are. (sighs)
2: Like it was the worst nightmare of our life, you know. I was on the corner of the mosque. I was going to the masjid, mm-hmm. but there was no parking. And I left from there and I was just right on the corner. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think police, you no, know, I received a text message mm-hmm. that uh, you can't pick the uh, children. It was, I think, from the police. Mm-hmm. And then all the ambulance and uh, Mm. police started coming and this, and I was receiving calls from everywhere. Mm. All of my friends that uh, their husband is not answering the phone. And I says, maybe they might be praying or like this. This I received five, six calls. And then I called you, this one, this one is not answering the phone. And uh, my friends start calling me that there is a shooting in the masjid. Mm. I says, no, there is no shooting. Maybe two, three friends will be fighting or like this. Mm. But all of a sudden we start, coming to know that uh, he's died, he's died, this, 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 so many people. Mm. And then I called my children, that, where are you, this, this, they were in the library, and there was all the lockdown Mm. in the country, and they says, you're not allowed to pick, pick, and then you called me, and you says, just go to home, police will message you, then you can pick the children. All of our friends, uh, they started crying, like, uh, Maybe there is shooting and this this. So it was like worst nightmare for us. Very scary. Many of our friends they were putting on stretcher and taking to the hospital. This this like it was very hard to watch them and everyone was screaming or this you know hard. Sorry. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. Like uh, every day we discuss them. Every day we miss them. Mm-hmm. In every prayer we miss them in the masjid. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to look at their young children and young wife. Like some of them are 27, 28. They are very young. And their children, they are under five, under two. Even one of my friends, her daughter was only five days old. Mm. So it's hard. Even their life is not the same as ever. We didn't lost like... In our family, thank God we are fine, but we can't see them. We knew them like 16, 17 years. Their children grew up in front of us. So it's very hard looking at them. And we sometimes even don't want to discuss about them. We don't want to feel their family cry again or like this, but it's very hard. Going in the masjid every day and looking at the corners like we can see they were sitting there, there, there. It's hard.
3: I think so much about how this podcast would just not be the same project if March 15th hadn't happened, if 51 people hadn't been killed by a white supremacist. Almost every family on the podcast is mentioned, even if we don't always leave it in. Every single family mentions it, at least in passing, usually more than in passing because their lives have been directly affected in some way by it. I just don't think we can ever, like go back to what we were before that. We, we have to keep talking about it. We have to keep remembering it. We need to address the reasons why somebody feels emboldened to take this kind of action. A lot of white supremacists took courage from his actions and we need to keep addressing that. It just can't be something that is, that is left behind the last three series of this show would have been completely different if that hadn't happened.
0: As we mentioned earlier, Tuba does an immense amount of community work, often running from place to place to support Muslim women in particular. This is something that does worry the rest of her family sometimes as Tuba suffers from quite a few health issues, including rheumatoid arthritis and diabetes. In this next part of the podcast, Tuba describes what it was like when her health issues first became a problem.
2: It started in 2012. My friend came to my home. She left and I was coming to lock the door and I fell down and I fainted there. And then your dad was calling me. I didn't answer the phone and he came to home and the door was open and I was on the floor. So he called the ambulance and then they took me in the Christchurch hospital and they... I think I had a high temperature. They did all the tests and everything, and they came to know that I have a remotid arthritis. And then they started giving me medication and the steroid injections. And if I don't get these injections, there is fluid all over my body and, uh, like, I can't walk because it's so much painful and, like, there's so many things. But thank God with the treatment and everything. Like, one thing I want to tell you both, I think you were three or four years old. He was three or you were four. I came from hospital after they removed my loads of lipomas and cysts and I came home. I went to bathroom and I fell down there and I collapsed and you both came and you were saying, Papa, Papa, Mama is dead. (laughs) You both were saying it then. Your dad came and he says, I told you not to go there. And I was unconscious. I couldn't hear him. Then again, they called the ambulance and they took me to hospital like this. And you both were sitting there around me and calling your dad, 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 Mom is dead. She's passed away. That's why I'm keeping myself very busy. So I don't want to think in my brain that I am sick or I have these, these issues, health conditions. So I'm taking my all the medication, injections, everything, and I am just keeping myself busy around the community. Like, there are many families whose children are going through a lot, like anxiety, stress, lots of trauma. They were very cheerful, very happy, full of life, children. But after this incident, so they are, like, not the same children. Even the young children, they are growing up. After some years, they will come to ask their moms that, where is our dad? Still, they are asking, they are questioning their mom, but they don't know because they are so young. But when they will grow up, so because of one uh, racist person, he killed all 51 peoples and then injured more than 40. And what he got? He destroyed all the families. But after this, like, uh, we are more stronger, more together, more helpful to each other. Families are trying to settle. They are trying to forget everything, but uh, it's not easy to forget everything. It's very hard for them. The moms like, uh, who didn't know how to pay bill, how to drive everything, now they are learning. So we need to be prepared for every worse or good, both situations, so we need to be strong so we can manage in these things if something happens.
4: So your mum will receive a call at the middle of night. She will wake me up that, "'Hubby, we are going for a drive.' I never ask her that question that, what are we doing? And then we will end up in one of the bereaved family or one of our friend home, because that family or that girl or that woman can't cope it anymore. And we go there and we pick up or we sit with them, chat with them for half an hour. And that panic attack or anxiety attack, they have, they relieve from there and they thanks us. But she become more busy. She's spending a lot of time with the families. But sometimes they want somebody that in front of them, they can cry, they can laugh. Tuba build that relationship uh, that the families trust her, even then in their very, very personal matters. Tuba and Habib, if I say, we become uncle and auntie in the last three years. <laughs> uh, from nowhere, it's just started and now we are uncle and auntie. This event changed uh, my family. If I look it back, uh, Fatma suddenly started wearing hijab from nowhere, which I wished uh, she do, but I never enforced it. Tuba also changed a lot. Uh, she became a calmer person. She is not arguing anymore that much. She just let it go.
5: I think she's more confident.
4: She was always confident. Uh, don't, don't tell me that. <laughs> uh, when uh, you become... Uh, You are out of your character (laughs) when you are angry. You are saying things, the first thing that kids might say, What is that thing, kids? (laughs) where is mama's
2: medication (laughs) uh,
4: had you had medication in the morning because that's the first thing uh, like I feel it and I don't know kids can say that but I feel it having uh, 15-20 tablets every morning and then injections uh, and I'm the nurse
2: I have two medical alert bands, then five years disabled parking card everything but I just don't want to think about these things I am just healthy I can walk better than thousands so it's a blessing for me that have children's house husband roof on our head everything is a blessings. Yeah. So if we think about the blessings, we are good. If we think about the negative things, oh, I'm sick, this, 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 so we can't cope with life, you know.
4: Do you know your mom once said, huh, she want to donate blood. <laughs> 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 and, I, and I said, look, uh, I and the doctor will have no issue with you in giving blood, uh, donating blood. uh, But we are thinking about that poor person who will receive that blood, all these steroids and everything. And next day you will be standing in front of hospital. I want the same blood you gave me yesterday. Full of energy. (laughs) Full of energy and everything.
5: Do you think if you didn't have your medical issues, would you be more active in the community?
2: Yes, of course. (laughs) So when it's time to take the injection, or this, my all energy is gone. But after getting the injections, I am more energetic.
4: The the one thing uh, uh, I'm telling you, by it is totally okay to to assist and help other people. This is uh, because we are human beings and it is in our faith. uh, But one thing is I always told you that when you are assisting somebody, when you know somebody's story, somehow you're going through the same pain as they are going through. Again and again, I'm telling you, uh, slow down. It's not that I want you to spend more time at home with with kids. Kids are grown up now, and I think so. They are well-behaved and they are well-kids, but the only thing is just only for you to understand that it is totally okay sometimes to slow down and to rest and to gather that energy. You have your own health issues. Alhamdulillah, we have no family problems some time listening these stories and going through those pain. Take your energy, take things. For me, I think these kinds of volunteer work, doing something for
2: someone is giving me more energy mm. and peace of uh, mind and heart that I have done something, may I accept everything. Mm. And this is something like make me more peaceful and I can sleep at night peacefully that, uh, thank God I have done something and may he accept everything.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense that sometimes when you are so focused on your own issues that that can bring you down. But if you can turn your attention to helping others and that is what lifts you up. So the reason that Tuba is so busy is I can see how that's a coping thing as well.
3: I also think that so many women do this. Mm. They just turn their energy Mm. outwards and they care for everyone around them. And it feeds them in some way, but also it can be to their own detriment. Yeah. I was listening to this and thinking about, like, the meaning of community and what we say when we refer to community and who that actually implicates. And I was talking um, to my friend Hannah about this the other day. Shout out, power, <laughs> What have and Tuba do for their friends, like... Someone calls them up in the middle of the night, they get up, no questions asked, they go to their house, they sit, they talk till things are calmer again. I just think that this is precisely what community is. And this is like the thing that keeps us going and that brings us happiness. Like knowing that you can do that, you can call someone and they can Mm -hmm. do that for you. Mm -hmm. Just showing up. Yeah. And they might not be in your direct family, but they know what you're going through, they understand it, and they want to be there for you.
0: Only recently, Fatima experienced another Islamophobic attack outside our Noor Mosque. Yeah, two years maybe after the shooting, and me and
5: Mama, we were like... We were taking like clothes from the masjid to put in the clothing bin. I was by the car, like, I was going to the car, and I opened the boot. There was a lot of traffic, the, this car, like, stopped and there's like, these two guys in it
2: and... The guy from passenger's uh, side, he started abusing and this, this, and there was a brother inside the masjid and that racist brother said that um, your women have no power, they are... Oppressed. Yes, and uh, they have no right, this, this. He was abusing and, like... He was behaving very bad, so that brother says that, please go inside the masjid. She came and she says, mama, there is a person who is abusing and like, he was behaving very bad. Like we sat inside the masjid and then I called my husband. I talked to you that, do you want to complain or like this? So you said, yes, I want to go. You talked with the police, we were in the masjid at that time and then I think next day they caught him and then thank God you were not scared and like uh, if you were quiet at that time and the whole life you would be scared or like this but you took the step to go against this thing.
5: I didn't really think anything of it because I think society that we live in, I think it kind of enforces on us that it's normal for us to get treated like this And it's not something odd, so I didn't think it was anything odd, especially since it was after, like, the March attack. It was kind of normal at that point, I think.
4: Do you think it's normal?
5: No, we are taught to think that it's normal, but it's not.
4: How, how do you say you are taught? Uh, who taught you this? The society
5: that we live in. The internet and TikTok and stuff, it's uh-huh. all of the attacks and stuff. When it's a Muslim person who attacks someone, he's a terrorist, mm. and everyone is talking about it. Uh-huh. But when it's a shooting in America or it's a white person, it's, oh, yeah, like, white supremacist, he's mentally ill. They don't make a big deal out of it because it's... Racism is everywhere. So you just you just naturally are brought up to think that it's normal. Many people say it as a joke. Like at school, they obviously make jokes about 9-11 and Osama bin Laden and stuff like that. They find out we're Muslim. They're like, oh, are you related to Osama bin Laden and stuff like that? And we just kind of laugh it off. We don't take it as serious because they're joking.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: And even them, they don't have the correct knowledge to know that it's not okay because they're also brought up in a way where they think joking like this is okay. They don't know that it's actually wrong. So overall, everyone is just brought up to think that discrimination against us is normal, Mm. but it's not.
1: Let's say if the guy who racially abused Fatima, verbally racially abused, was like, a white guy, all right? Mm. If I was in Fatla's position, I feel like he wouldn't say that to me because mm. I feel like I could back my word and be like, oh, why'd you say that? And I could confront him because mm. like men in society typically look stronger. Mm. I feel like one of the main
4: reasons he did that is because he knew that he thought that she's a woman. Mm. This is interesting one now. So you think that uh, even then, forget about the ethnic parents now, you think that the, in New Zealand, the Pakeha community or the European culture also think the same, that woman is... Easy, they will take on whatever we tell them or whatever we say to them. Yeah,
1: because, like, even in school, there's, like, there's only, like, some girls who back the word, in a sense. Like, as a a guy, right, like, it's easy to, like, stand up to a male teacher and be like, oh, you can't say this to me. Mm. Because, like, you're probably bigger than the teacher or same height as the teacher. Like, (laughs) you can, like, you can, like, confront the teacher and size the teacher up. Like, for, like, girls, the teacher, like... I
5: disagree, because if you look at Mama and Baba, I think
2: Mama is more stronger.
1: I don't think Wow. So. I
4: don't think that. <laughs> I, that is <laughs> so <laughs> harsh. And I, always, no, I always
2: <laughs> tell you and your dad as well that doesn't matter how tall, how stronger you are, just respect
4: the teacher. Somehow, as Fatma said, um, strong. For me, uh, and everybody has their own perspective, but for me, strong doesn't mean that I'm well-built and I'm tall. Mm. Strong means that uh, uh, sometimes I'm a broke down, but uh, Tuba... Mm, may stand that, that, that position.
5: I feel like being physically strong doesn't mean
4: anything. No, you have doesn't. to be mentally it means a strong. Lot, but, but No, but, 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 I don't uh,
5: think it does. You yeah. have, it has some impact. If you're physically strong, but you're nervous of a cat, what are you going to do? Like, you can't just That's run away saying. from a cat. When we can kill
2: someone with our words, there is no need if to push or if punch. If you're a six foot and you're scared
5: of a butterfly, <laughs> where are you going to go, Asmaj? Where are you going to run to? <laughs> uh, no, but if you're, if you're mentally strong and you're yes. not scared of it, then you even if you're one foot, if, even if you're like short... Okay, so, you you're saying, mean, okay, you're okay, so
1: if you're mentally strong, if I'm five foot two and I'm mentally strong and I go into a boxing wing with Mike Tyson, Licking is my mentality
4: going to work?
5: boxing is physical. Just run from there.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, but but first thing is... Boxing again, is physical. Look, look, no, physical. No, no, it's, it's not an argument. It's a discussion like huh. huh? But first thing is, uh, if you are... Uh, not mentally strong, you're physically strong, you will not have a courage to go to that box yeah. <laughs> no you need you need muscular strength I mean it's
1: not it's not mental strength, it's mental endurance it's more the, yeah okay. like you need to be able to endure okay. and like logical thinking like you can't be six foot tall and not be able to like tell a right from a wrong or you can't be five foot and then be like, "Oh, I could beat you in a fight because I'm mentally stronger than you."
5: I don't know. Yes. I just said, yeah, matlab I don't think being physically strong means anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> matlab,
2: uh-huh. yeah, I
5: need, like if you can stand up for yourself, and, like
2: mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. you just it just comes. You don't need to explain it. You just know when you're strong, no, and you can you just tell other people. Like, okay, if I look at Mama and if I look at you,
3: mm-hmm.
5: when you're driving, Henna.
3: Mm-hmm
5: you're really just let me finish okay you're really road raged so matlab you can't control yourself and you just start being aggressive and you start doing the horn and you start you know being road raging right mm that that's not strong in my opinion that's weak in my opinion Absolutely. because you can't control your body but mama when something happens she controls it she just doesn't do anything she gives she has patience and she has mm. supper like she mm. has <laughs> resilience mm. and I think being strong means you have resilience commitment mm. and you're striving for the best mm. looking for example up even if like a car was just turning <laughs> you would be like oh my god no I need to go first <laughs> but then mama she has like patience she would let all the cars go and then she would go
2: That's why I always say, your dad is not driving a car, he is riding a horse.
0: (laughs) I think it's my favourite part of the episode where Fatima just says, actually, I disagree. If you look at mum and dad, like, I disagree.
3: I love Fatima's definition of strength.
0: I feel like while we were there, we could really see Fatima, like, taking after her mum, starting to go with mum to community visits that her mum does, and you can really see how she's learnt so much from her mum And she just has learnt to view strength in a different, beautiful way.
3: Yeah, that's a really nice thing that she's taken from her mum, that she looks to her and she thinks, that is what strength is to Mm. me, exactly how my mum lives her life. Mm. What a dream. I think that the kind of strength that Fatima admires is the sort of strength that might be more of like a matriarchal Mm. idea of strength. And maybe Usman is... Stuck in a more patriarchal lens. Yeah. He perceives that physical strength is the one that he should aspire to Mm. and the one that's going to overcome, you know, everything. And it is just two different ways of looking at what tools we need to survive. New
4: Zealand and Christchurch is home. The community around us particularly you guys around me and then our extended friends, that is home for me. This place where we are sitting today is the place of the center of all this big home. But as a human beings, we gifted with this earth, so ultimately this our whole earth. But if somewhere I can call home nowadays, it is uh, it is Christchurch, New Zealand for now. Mm-hmm.
2: My home is where my both children and my husband is. This is my paradise inside this room. This is my home. It doesn't matter wherever we are in the world or wherever we are. When you, Sman, Habib, they are with me, I'm happy everywhere.
5: Yeah, I agree. Wherever my family is, that's where my
1: home is. I feel like my home is wherever you feel safe or where I'm comfortable. Like If I'm comfortable at school or near Krigernitz, like that could be my home. Like I don't have one set home. My home, it could be multiple places, like my bed, this house physically, <laughs> and then mentally it could be like on my like game. That could be like my happy place. But yeah, I've got a lot of homes, but I like this one.
3: So we wanted to say a big thank you to the family for having us and a special thank you to Tuba and to Tuba's friends for letting us join them and sit with them um, on the second day of our recording,
0: yeah, it was really special to be able to meet some of the people whose families were immediately affected by the events of March 15th and we know that that still has a huge everyday impact on their lives. and mm. Mihiko
3: you can check out photos and videos of all our families on Facebook at Where Are You From Really?, on Instagram at Convos With My, online at tahi.fm or rnz.co.nz forward slash conversations, or follow the podcast on all major podcast providers. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was created, produced, and directed by Julie Dool and De Silva. If you wish, you can follow us at Saray Silva or at Julie Dool with two U's. Location recording by Joey Ciasoko. Sound post-production by Emi Pagoni. Music composed and produced by Tal, Shantani, and Shalina Sandrin. And videos are edited by Josh Yong.
0: Our cover image is illustrated by nga Mutani Mutāne-Jones and designed by Sonia Milford. A big mihi also to Tim Burnau and Jodi Huani from RNZ Commissioning. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was made possible with the support of New Zealand On Air. He kō material irirangi o Aotearoa.